This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to video episode number 56, or if you are just listening, season three, episode 11 of Music Is Not A Genre. Each week I take a release or several from my collection. I discuss them, I give them my take on them, I throw in some other interesting things, and I connect them to my music, other music, and other things in the world. Uh, thank you to everyone who has subscribed, who clicks, uh, listens, and reads, and watches, and shares uh, if you are a Patreon patron, thank you very much for that. If not, there's a link right there at the at the uh, below this video. Please go uh, take a look at the page. There's a lot of exclusive content over there on Patreon, including an interview series I'm doing with various people in the music world uh, and live shows and things like that. And I really love you to be a part of all that. This week, the topic is Liz fucking fair. This title doesn't need a qualifier. There's a reason why I use a curse word in that title, right? And it's not just because, you know, if you know anything about Liz Fair, she's known for being very free with her language and her expression and everything like that. That's part of it, sure. But the other part of it is this, this topic kind of makes me fucking angry. It kind of makes me angry. And um, it, I don't know if you know, and obviously if you're just listening, you don't know, but I always write a text prior to doing this video and this audio recording and it helps me flesh out my ideas and usually for this particular podcast format I don't read the text verbatim and I'm not going to do that now uh, but I usually only just go off of notes but in this case I'm going to follow along uh, a little bit more to what I wrote because um I think it, I don't know if I can say it any, any better, you know, uh, and I need to refer to it to really get to the point that I'm making here, which is I, you know, if you are aware of 
you know, the undercurrent or the, the kind of underworkings of the way th are, things operate in this world, whether that has to do with politics, society, uh, the restaurant business, um, you know, the movie industry, the music industry, then you probably have started to realize that a lot of what we think or believe is not necessarily true. It's fed to us. It's fed to us by a marketing machine. It's fed to us by critics, journalists, stuff like that. And it kind of, you know, it kind of pisses me off. It pisses me off for several reasons. First of all, you know, full disclosure, you may know this already. I talk about it all the time. I am a singer-songwriter. I've recorded several albums over the years. I've had a long career and I've had, you know, little bits of success here and there, but not you know, necessarily to the, to the degree that I would like. So that's one thing. But even, you know, when you're just talking about people that everybody knows or that a large group of people know, depending on the type of music you listen to, such as someone like Liz Fair, you should be aware of the fact that the narrative that we know is likely not the correct narrative. Eventually, this does get corrected. Usually when an artist has been around for decades or if that artist dies, which is ridiculous, but, you know, that it has to wait that long, you know. But while it's going on, we are almost always being fed some type of a, a misleading narrative. Not entirely false, but misleading. And in the case of Liz Fair, I mean, that is just true in spades, right? So if you... If you don't know her, let me give you a quick, you know, just a very quick summary. She's about my age, you know, so look that up. And she uh, started, uh, she's from Chicago area and uh, started recording or writing, I guess, in kind of the late 80s and the early 90s. She went under the name Girly Sound and uh, was discovered, you could say, and signed and started releasing albums under her own name, Liz Fair. Uh, and I know all this readily and kind of quite a bit more because I just read her memoir, uh, Horror Stories, which I would absolutely recommend. Each chapter is like a, is like a song in itself. They're you know, vignettes from her life that all have a pretty awesome emotional punch, each in their different way. Um, that's my recommendation. And came out of the gate just fired. You know, this album right here, if you're watching, I'm pointing to it. If not, it's the album called Exile and Guy Guyville. And I will get to that a little later. But the critics loved her and she was a huge success in the indie world and, the, you know, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And since then has had a very long and extensive career that I'm going to get into more de detail about. But, it, but right from the gate, she was known as somebody who was comfortable with explicit lyrics, comfortable with very personal lyrics, very, you know, intimate lyrics about her, herself and her life. Uh, some lyrics uh, were, were sexually charged. And, you know, there were other aspects of her music, which again, I will get into later, that she was well known for. And that made for a very great story to kind of get her noticed and get the critics to love her, get her out of the gate, uh, you know, blazing and then things kind of took their winding turns in different directions throughout her career and my contention is that that is largely if not completely because of the music industry 
and critics and journalists. And what I what I wrote down here is that we need to we need to get sick of this. We need to be sick and sick and tired of this. Of uh, you know now again, it's not we're not just victims. We are victims in some ways, but we also have agency and we have a responsibility to know more, to find out more, to look beneath the surface, to go beyond what we're being fed. But I'm gonna just kind of read it right here. Too many artists, too many people and not just artists, have been taken, taken advantage of by those in power, pushed around and forced to either comply or risk major rejection, you know, or failure or lack of success. So many of us have been manipulated, exploited, stepped on, shunted aside, all for money and power. And boy, is she a perfect example of this, you know. Her, that album I talked about, Exile and Guybill, is has now been ranked as one of the top 500 greatest albums of all time by Rolling Stone. Take or leave what a publication says and, and a top, top 500, top 10, top anything list. But if, you're, if I were making a list, I'd put it on and I think it deserves it. I'd put it to actually more than just that, uh, that album of hers on it. But the narrative would have you believe that she made this album... And then she slowly kind of lost her way and faded and became a somewhat of a footnote of, uh, you know, early mid-90s um, alternative scene. That is not true. And if that's what you think, I don't blame you uh, because maybe you don't like Liz Fair enough or know Liz Fair enough to want to dig deeper. If you're someone who does, then you probably also don't believe that. So I don't know. I'm not talking to you, but I am talking to you. Uh, but so, and what I blame again, the industry critics, and boy, when I, I'm going to do a quick rundown of her albums, and you'll see what I mean by that. But it's not true. All right, that's the narrative we've been fed, and it's just it, it's not true. I, I just listen. I do this, you know, every now and then I will choose an artist uh, I respect and listen to their entire catalog, straight up to date, if they're still working their latest thing, whatever, from the very beginning, as far back as I can go till today. And I just did that with Liz Fair, um, partly because of the book Horror Stories, uh, partly because she is releasing a new album very, very soon, and I wanted to get caught up and kind of get ready for that. And uh, it made sense that this was the topic that I would choose this week because also, as as of this recording, March 3rd, she's doing her first ever live stream concert tonight. I'm going to check it out. Um, it'll be too late for you to see it. Ah, you know, she'll do more, and hopefully she'll do a ton more because she deserves to be seen and heard uh, by way more people than she has been. But, the, you know, in listening to her entire catalog, I've come away with one just giant impression, which is she's always been herself, always done what she wanted to do, and always kicked ass at it. It's, it's this sense we are often told by critics, oh, you know, the sophomore album Slump or... They go in a different direction and they're doing music that's just not them and things like that. Uh, you know, they, they try to get too, too technical or too polished or they try to be too off the cuff or whatever it is. We're always told things like this. And sure, some artists 
succumb to the pressure of wanting to do what the industry says or respond to critics because they feel like that's their only means of survival. And uh, on a personal level, I understand that. I, I thankfully have not done that. But I know that many artists I respect have done that at, at times in their career. What I'm saying is she never did that. Uh, no, no matter how you see any release that she did through her career, she never said, I need to do this because somebody else told me to do it or do it this way. Um, in fact, if you have an impression of her, let's say as someone who's highly sexual and that's it, or someone who, you know, had a flash of inspiration and then, and then didn't have much else to give, like any of these things, whatever you're thinking, it's not that. That is not it. It's either only part of the story or it's not even part of the story. It's not even true. I liken her output, and she does actually. She says she really respected and, and respects and admires David Bowie. And I can see why. You know, after listening to her whole catalog, I kind of uh, liken her output to Bowie in her own way. And uh, let me go, let me do this rundown so I can give you an idea of what I mean. That first album, Exiling Guyville, like I said, very personal, explicit lyrics, uh, intimate lyrics, uh, you know, confessional in many ways. Uh, but the music was raw, had an edge to it, you know, and seemed like it was just tossed off. Uh, but it wasn't. There were very deliberate decisions made by her as an artist to make it that way. She even at the time was doing other things or had done other things in her past, but felt like this was the thing she wanted to do first, and, and, and you know, as far as her major label debut, and, um, you know, make that impression. But it was a conscious choice. It was, I'm going to be this person for this album and highlight these parts of myself or these parts of my story or the way that I create. And there's this, you know, history that, each song on uh, this album, Exile in Guyville, is a response to each song of Exile uh, Main Street, I believe, by the Rolling Stones. And uh, whether that's true or not, that kind of garage rocky feel did, you know, infiltrate a ton of these songs. But again, you know, well, not again. I will get to the, what, what's, uh, what's coming out of this idea of this being tossed off when it really was intentionally made that way and, and every step was very intentional and let's not forget how catchy the songs were, you know, so it wasn't just some rambling about, you know, sexual this and personal relationship that or history that. Um, Whip Smart was her second album, came out a couple of years later, so that was 93, Whip Smart I believe was 95, um, was kind of proof that she didn't burn out you know, and like, that's all she had to give. She had like this collection of songs and she blew it out. No, she, she proved she was here to stay, that she was a serious artist who wanted to continue to create and to continue to push herself, challenge herself and challenge the listener. Um, it had a little more tightness to certain compositional elements than Exile and Guyville. And it had some different elements to show that she was moving the ball forward which is always very cool. Um, white Chocolate Space Egg, 1998. I'm yelling it because um, although I actually genuinely do love every one of her albums, which I can't say for every artist, 
this one's my favorite. White chocolate space egg is my favorite. Um, it is an absolute songwriting and frankly performing toward divorce. I mean, it is, she is the titan of making intimate and really quirky lyrics into catchy pop tunes, you know, power pop in some ways, or she doesn't just settle for, I'm going to stick with uh, confessional singer songwriter mode. So everything I do has to sound that way or has to have a certain you know, lack of edge or an attitude that way. She, she marries all these elements like they were meant to be married. And songs like, I don't know, Polyester Bride or Uncle Alvarez or uh, Shitloads of Money. I'm pretty sure they're all from that album. You know what? I have the album right here. And let me check. We have Polyester Bride, Uncle Alvarez, and Shitloads of Money. Just three of many of my favorite songs off of that album. And um, I got to tell you, uh, her guitar playing is pretty awesome, too. Um, I just read an interview that I stumbled across, and I'll explain when I talk about the next release, and it said uh, people often overlook how good of a guitar player she is because she's not flashy and, you know, she doesn't uh, shred and shit like that. The, her chord voicings, her chords themselves, the way she strums and picks and all of that has a real character to it that, you know, only she has. And you, know, you can hear a lot of that on White Chocolate Space Egg. In fact, um, start with this album. Start with this album. If you, if you don't know a lot about her, go ahead and start with this one. Or start with the next one. Her eponymous album, Liz Fair. Uh, came out in 2003, and it was immediately panned. It was immediately thrown to the wolves. Critics hated it, or at least wrote that they hated it, because in many ways they felt they had to hate it, because it didn't sound like loosey-goosey indie stuff. It didn't sound like alt-rock. It was her doing power pop. It was her doing, at the time, it was, um, ah, man, I forget... The skater boy, uh, the woman who did that song. And that was, people said, oh, she's trying to sound like her. This was her wanting again to do what she wanted to do. And I remember getting this album, not knowing what to expect and uh, loving it. Like it blew me away. There were songs on there. Uh, Extraordinary is my favorite, I believe, from it. But it's it's no less personal than Exile in Guyville or Whip Smart, you know, or any of those. This is the thing. We think, we are conditioned to think, but we also just think, because I don't know, that's, we're humans, that a loosey-goosey kind of tossed off intimate sound where it's just somebody playing a guitar and singing means that the music has more integrity and it's more confessional. It's more authentic. And that music that is more polished and put together and produced and layered can't be authentic. It can't be more authentic, certainly. It can't be equally authentic. It has to be shallower. None of that is fucking true. And this is one of the things that really pisses me off as a listener and as a creator. How something is produced is an affect. You can take, and I've heard this done, and sometimes it's worked well, and sometimes it's cheesy as hell. You can take a pop song that is considered super pop, shallow in a sense, very accessible, and then do this intimate acoustic version of it. And 
you know, somehow that's supposed to make it more meaningful. Listen, sound-wise, they all have different impressions, and that's great. Different production, different types of playing, like a different impression in general. I love that. That's part of the music listening experience. But I'm talking about substance and integrity had nothing to do with the affects of how something is produced. You know, a little bit how something is performed, because the performance does shape the way the way a song comes out, of course. Certainly a lot in how something is sung. But even to some degree, even those are affects. And that, that you know, because if somebody else covers an awesome song in a different way, it's still an awesome song, you know. So the point being that the actual existence of that song and the substance of it, the integrity of it is no more or less authentic or meaningful based on how it's produced. And um, there's a guy named Matt LeMay who was a uh, critic for Pitchfork, a publication I have never been able to tolerate. Uh, and back when this album came out, he gave it zero out of zero stars, 0, 0.0. Made sure to put the point zero in there too. Just completely ripped it apart. He wasn't the only one, but he was the one who was most famous for doing that. Now there's a couple things there. I looked him up. He has since not only backtracked from that, but explained the place he was in at the time, that he was 19 years old, really trying to make a splash by you know, giving, giving himself indie cred by saying, well, this doesn't sound indie, you know, and it, you know, and she sold out or whatever, and has gone further and really, you know, explained how now in his, you know, 30s, he is, uh, he understands what a great artist Liz Fair is and how she was really un unfairly pigeonholed pretty much every time she put out an album, which is not just an artist thing. It is an artist thing and it is an industry thing. And it is a people with power and money thing, but it's also a woman thing. I mean, if you had somebody, if you think of somebody like uh, Elvis Costello or Morrissey or uh, there was one other singer-songwriter I was thinking of like that that has lyrics that are, you know, quirky or more confessional or very kind of singer-songwritery. Uh, they can go in whatever direction they want to go in and they have a lot more leeway critically in, in terms of the journalism of it, partly because they're men, you know. And, and she you know, has, has suffered, you know, more than someone, less than other women. But the point being, a woman in any industry is going to have a harder time than a man. To this, Just like a person of color is going to have a harder time than a white person, you know. So she was, she, listen, all I have to say is get this album and listen to it. Get Liz Fair, the eponymous album from 2003, and listen to it. Listen through to the whole thing and get your own impression. In hindsight, it was, it's, it's a blockbuster. I, I believe that all of her albums can be qualified that way, but in its own way, how it was able to merge that power pop realm, which is one of my favorites anyway, with her style of, of lyric writing and singing and even stretching herself into new areas with new producers and new ways of playing and stuff like that. That's her being her, you know? Uh, and then... It was actually extremely successful for her. She she had a giant hit, Why Can't I, and a couple of other hits, uh, smaller hits, like Extraordinary, and um, the tour and all that stuff. 
But where do you go from there? So she went wherever the hell she wanted to, again, with the 2005 album, which I do not have on CD. As, you, as people who are watching can see, I only have her first four, but I've listened to them all. Somebody's Miracle. First time I heard this was a couple of days ago. And the first thing I thought was, oh, somebody did what Taylor Swift does or did before Taylor Swift did it. And look, Taylor Swift's extremely, wow, you know, extremely talented, prolific and, and, and gets, you know, I like how critical she is of her own work in terms of dissecting it and stuff like that and being honest about the way she produces things, you know. But, and she came at a time when, um, and, in, and in a part of the industry where, you know, the countryside, that stuff was more accepted and tolerated and everything, but also she was new and younger and all of that. And, and there were, you know, but let's not face, let's face it also extremely talented. Um, you know, it, it, I'm not really trying to make a comparison other than to say at this point in Liz Fair's career, somebody's miracle should have been an album like Taylor Swift's albums. It should have been seen as, wow, this is somebody who did every, you know, so many other kinds of music in her first four albums and then decides to just sit down and be a singer-songwriter and she goes into singer-songwriter mode but doesn't, you know, doesn't stick with typical, uh, stereotypical singer-songwriter uh, qualities in the lyrics or even some of the production. She She keeps it personal to her and... Again, you know, it was in some ways a 180 from the album before it. And that could be why one reason why her relationship with the label ended. But the point is there that she didn't say, oh, you know, Liz Fair was my most successful album. I'm going to do another one of those. There were some elements of that power pop and somebody's miracle, but it got more intimate, but not intimate in the way that Exile and Guyville or Whip Smart were intimate, you know, it, and not and. And quirky, but not quirky in the way White Chocolate's Space Egg was quirky. It had all the elements of the previous stuff, but done in, a, in what seems like a, more of a singer-songwriter remote. And then <laughs> a few years later, about a little more than 10 years ago, she released her last full album, Fun Style. And I had, again, the first time I heard this was a couple days ago, and I didn't know what to expect. Uh, because I had read an interview with her from a couple, right when her book came out a couple of years ago that uh, she was talking about it and how experimental it was in its own way. It was basically her saying, this is me going where I want to go and I hope you come along with me. And she, I mean, she raps on the album. There's some R&B on there. There's some really just super quirky, almost Zappa-esque stuff and it's, you know, in its own way or um, Tune Yards and people, you know, bands like that. And the, the thing is, you know, if you're willing to open up and follow an artist on their journey, there's no limit to how much enjoyment you can get out of it and how much discovery. And I was primed to like this album because I liked her previous five albums, you know. But uh, as always, some albums are favorites, some aren't. This kind of started creeping up as one of my top favorites because of how just flat out weird it is. Just going, it does what I think any artist should be allowed to do or should not should want to do. Artists do what they want to do, but should be allowed to do if they want to do, which is say, fuck you to genre and to packaging and to saying, well, if I'm this kind of artist, I have to sound this way. 
She did, I mean, she had people speaking over her songs while the songs were going on, like a voiceover type thing. Like just, I can't describe it other than to say, look up Fun Style and it, out of the gate, it starts that way. Just see what you think, right? Uh, in some ways, I almost suggest listening to this first, although, you know, I don't know. Pick yours. Pick some of the six, one of the six albums and start, start anywhere. Please, because she deserves way more listening than she's gotten over the last 20 years uh, and should be a legend the way I said last time Matthew Sweet should be a legend. You know, these people are victims of the industry in many ways and uh, we should respect our artists more. We should respect people more, but we should respect our artists more, especially artists who just stick with it and just keep at it and continue to, to challenge themselves and try things and go back to the roots, whatever it is, or just have that kind of, the kind of integrity that Liz Fair has. One thing I really, that really struck me about that fun style album was that she was doing things that eventually became part of the pop mainstream, the kind of weirdness of songs like Chandelier and stuff like that. that she was doing vocal things like that and lyrical things that were quirky that eventually the mainstream took on. It, it, she was a, kind of ahead of her time. But the other thing is, uh, she, this is exactly what I just did, you know, with my band Rex project, The Weird Objective. The five albums that are in that were meant to show that, as the podcast says, music is not a genre. That if an artist wants to go in any direction, they should be able to. And not only that, there should be no reason to package it in a certain way. So, you know, it, it was my way of doing a like a genre fuck you, but as well as, you know, her doing kind of her industry and genre fuck you with fun style because she, you know, expressly, she self-released it and just was like, this is for me and my fans and anybody else who wants to listen and screw the rest of the industry. I don't care. And this is what I'm going to put out, right? That's sort of what I did with The Weird Objective in that, no artist who is not super well-known or even ones who are well-known should be putting out a 32-track project. But I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to ride it, you know. And it's people like Liz Fair who inspire me to do that, you know, and David Bowie and Prince and all of them. So I would love for you to go listen to The Weird Objective. There's a link below. Listen, all 32, mix the 32 tracks up, see how they go together there's playlists on the page, the link that I put there. Listen certainly to all of Liz Fair's albums. They're just start somewhere. I am so looking forward to her new album, which is coming out sometime this year, 2021. I uh, can't wait. I can't wait, and I can't wait for the concert tonight. Do you remember Liz Fair? Do you remember what she was known for at the time? Do you did, did you know more about her than that? Did you think that she was someone who lost her way or faded? Or did you follow her and say, oh, she's still doing quality work? Do you know her hits more? Do you know her first album more or anything? Are there other artists in your world that you feel have gotten short shrift because of how the uh, industry has pigeonholed them or how critics have talked about them? I, I would love to know about that. I want to know... Not just what you think about what I'm talking about here or Liz Fair or my music. What, what, what is comparable in your life to something like this where you're like, that artist just worked hard for decades and should have gotten more respect or more recognition or more success? I want to know because as always, my objectives here are uh, music, conversation, and connection. Thank you as always.
uh, and I will see you next time.